Earthlings, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to keep this intro short. This is our part two conversation with Daniel O'Neill, a two-time freestyle frisbee world champion, Cirque du Soleil performer, and subject matter expert in recruitment marketing. Yes, Daniel is a bit of a renaissance man. I hope you like this show as much as I enjoyed it. Thanks. Uh, so my question for you now is... so. Someone doesn't become a top sales manager at a company by accident. So, so what creative approaches did you take at your time at Recruitix and Bayard in order to, you know, kind of start doing things that might have been against the grain or different that led to success? So, I mean, again, I don't think I can offer anything that's going to completely reinvent the wheel. But I would say that I started with LinkedIn. And I found that LinkedIn, because my the people I was selling to were leaders in talent acquisition. So they already, I was lucky, are going to live and breathe on LinkedIn every day because that's the space they're in. Um, so, right, they're looking for candidates on LinkedIn. They're keeping up to date on industry trends via LinkedIn. So it turns out that, you know, muffins to live and breathe on the main you know sales navigation platform so i got really lucky there but then i started trying to and he's gonna read some random message so i'll just give away all my secrets fuck it i mean but basically (laughs) like my approach was to Find anybody that was a that that was halfway a, a decent fit for what I was looking for. Anybody who's like director or VP above in talent acquisition, I connect with. I'll I'll try and connect with that person on LinkedIn. I'm not even going to bother sending them a like a direct note or mm-hmm. anything because I'm not really trying to ask them for anything. I just want to keep that person on my on my radar. So I'm just. Like and I have LinkedIn on my phone as well mm. to gamify this. So instead of spending 15 minutes, you know, scrolling my my Instagram feed or my Facebook feed, I'll just take out LinkedIn and just plow through. You know, LinkedIn already has pretty good algorithms that, mm-hmm. that give you some decent suggestions, but use their filters, whatever the case may be, and just grow my network. I probably got a 10,000 first degree connections on LinkedIn or something. Uh-huh. The vast majority of which are good people for me to be talking to or, or have on, uh, on my radar. So just try and grow my network that way. Um, and then, you know, engage people in the least, uh, you know, aggressive ways possible. Like they, they get a new job. Hey, congrats on the promotion. Hey, happy birthday, Jacob. Um, yeah. Whatever the case may be, like, you know, it, for the, for things that, that, are genuinely interesting to me to try and leave a comment, but really, really low pressure. Don't ask them for anything. And then, you know, there's a personal branding aspect where now I have this big network every once in a while, I'll drop my own piece of content on LinkedIn 
and just see who's out there, who see who's liking my stuff, who's commenting on my stuff. Maybe that I don't know that well, but they seem to be following me. So that's a, that's a good start. Like I, I definitely think, uh, you know, being targeted about who you go after and not being afraid to, to try and find a recipe and repeat it. So like, I hate to say this, but you know, like Rover, Rover was, was, a good company, a good thought. So then I immediately would go try and talk to WAG and Uh then I would try and talk to, you know, all the massage therapy companies and every other company that followed that model. And if I Mm. knew that I've done good work with Rover and have a good story to tell, then I would use that as leverage to help push my my foot in the door with with another yeah. similar company that, that looks and, and breathes similarly. So yeah, you know, those are those are all standard things, but I think the the main thing is that you have to make people realize that that you're human and that you're worth uh, even like looking at. So that's why I have no issue trying to be a little goofy, a little loud, a little off caller on social media. When yeah. I send people personal messages, I I use emojis. I never use capital letters. I always am looking for a way to just get under their skin as their friend. And this is it sounds so fucked up and manipulating. I, I really do want to be these people's friends. And no, it, it's really it, not it, it as doesn't. fucked up it, as it sounds. Yeah, but, it's, it's, yeah. It, sounds, it sounds great. You, you, yeah. you want to make a connection. And you know, yeah. if, if you end up working together, that's just... It's just good business, you know. Uh, and it, it, like you said, you know, friends can make the, the best business partners and clients too. So, yeah, that that's that's really cool. Uh, I I like that you take an unconventional approach because there's if you look at the 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 C of what most people do, they just take the safe conventional, right? And uh, kind of you alone in your career uh, doing anything uh, performing arts has more of a risk taking aspect to it it's it's going against the grain it's it's not it's obviously not blue collar or white collar it's um it's it's a risk in itself so i think once again that lends really well to the success that you've had right yeah for sure and and for what it's worth like i think it's it's actually allowed me to be able to pursue my artistic dreams better working in restaurants. I mean, because I've gotten really good at my job to the point where I can do it remotely. And pre-COVID for the past three, four years, I've been working completely remotely. And so I think that, I hope that the, that one, you know, silver lining that comes out of coronavirus, I think for sure, remote work is here to stay and that mm-hmm. there's no that in in a in a huge way every company is going to have to revisit you know their uh their tolerance for a remote workforce and whether and how they're how they're leveraging a remote workforce um but i would just offer that there's probably a lot of other creative young awesome artists out there who maybe haven't had the same nepotistic opportunity to land in mm-hmm. in sales or in, in a remote position like this, but would probably be your best hires. So mm. just just throwing it out there that you know actors and dancers should 
look at the path that I took and and I I would say there there is a, a pretty cool path there to be able to you know carve out something flexible for yourself where you can use your skills as a storyteller to your benefit and then for companies you know if you're willing to allow flexibility and if you work on a you know if you're if you're willing to take somebody who's a producer but who maybe needs to do it in an unconventional way and take a yoga class in the middle of the day or go to an audition like if you can break your conservative mold to allow that <laughs> there's a lot of really smart, awesome people you could be hiring. Yeah, it's like lifting up a filter that you have on Google. You're like, or say you're looking for a car and you're like, it has to be a 2015 Toyota Camry in a blue color. Like the moment, the moment you lift off, it has to be blue. Then you've just opened up your options by 10. And you know, it's like you, you might have much, much greater success that way, right? And things will surprise you. Yeah. So in regards to gig economy companies you know it's also called marketplace companies what uh what are gig economy companies doing that's working really well since that's become a bit of your specialty in the past few years great question so i think uh i think gig economy companies are getting really smart with um i i think just to add to the glossary another kind of term that's specific to gig economy companies is supply side acquisition. So they kind of think of their business and, you know, there's the demand side, which is the consumers, how many people need to take a ride with Uber in San Francisco right now. And then there's the supply side, which is the drivers that are going to service all those riders that need a ride. And what they're getting really smart at is how to match the supply and demand side using marketing techniques in real time. Mm-hmm. So uh, Uber is now, and Lyft, they've got in-house teams that are using a lot of uh, you know, data analysis to be able to project out to next week and say, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, across hundreds and hundreds of markets, how many drivers am I going to need um, in these markets to meet the consumer demand? And and that's where it starts. How many drivers am I going to need? And then you back up and say, okay, how many applicants am I going to need to get those drivers? How many ads am I going to need to serve? How many eyeballs are going to need to see those ads to get the applicants we need, to get the drivers we need? Half of those people are not going to pass their background check. So there's a bunch of steps along the way that you need to account for. Um, But at the end of the day, the, uh, the golden ticket, the key for marketers in the gig economy is matching the supply side and the demand side. So there's no if you're if you're missing on the supply side, there's a missed opportunity, a missed revenue opportunity. There's people that want to ride that you're not servicing. But if you're overstaffing and you have too much supply for your demand, um, then then you've got a bunch of pits aren't getting. Uh, on the gig app, we're going to go to your competitor. It's going to affect your employer brand, and you know, and you're not, and you're also not equally matching the supply and demand side. So that's that's how they're generally the gig companies think about it that I've worked with. 
And so, so to summarize, say back to you, they do a great job of the marketplace dynamics, the the, the economics, supply and demand, uh, which is honestly a hard hard thing to get people to start thinking in that mindset. I, I find that hard at my current company. I found that a little bit hard at Rover, although they were more ahead of the curve than others. Uh, they are great at using analytics and numbers to work work it back to exactly what they'd need and then kind of confirm through the actual real campaigns that they do and postings to see that it's working. And then finally, uh, they they see that there's the, the blue ocean opportunity. They're like, if we can match it, supply and demand, well, then we've maximized our revenue or we've gone as close as we can to, to, to reaching that point. How can we do that more consistently? How can we do that annually? And they kind of bake that in into their, their growth projections. Yeah. And just to reiterate another point that I made earlier, the most successful companies are the ones that can tie back their uh, recruitment marketing costs to how it affects their revenue on the consumer side. Because mm-hmm. if, if, if I know that, you know, the, the really smart companies have like kind of an acquisition number in mind, a, a, a target yeah. cost where yeah. they know if they can acquire talent at or underneath this threshold, it's worth the marketing investment is worth it. And they will make that money back and more on the consumer side. So it, it, show, it tells them exactly how far to press the gas paddle yeah. and then when to take the foot off the gas um, so they don't waste any money. Yeah. Those are the the smartest marketers. Yeah, yeah. What you're bringing up a lifetime value. You know, being able to capitalize on the lifetime value of the customer, but therefore also capitalizing on the lifetime value of the supply side, whether that's a driver or an insurance agent or a pet sitter, and then uh, marrying those two together to say, you know what, we are willing to spend three hundred dollars to get a good. Uber driver because they're going to bring in $1,500 of value of revenue for the company, right? And uh, they're thinking about it in terms of exactly how they should because there's if, if, if they want to do the best that they can, there's, there's, there's no other way to think about it at this point. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, some, and then some companies just have a different challenge than others because they... Some gig companies just have massive brand recognition, like Uber and Lyft, whereas Assurance, no offense, like I didn't actually know Assurance before we yeah, started most people working don't. together. So, so you have an added challenge that you have to, you have to get your candidates to understand who you are as a brand um, entirely and just get, get, them, get yourself on the radar and on their map. Um, so yeah, yeah, and and uh, if there's not if there's no supply, then it's going to be then you're not really going to have any demand. So uh, that's that's also something that companies often forget about if they do want to start a marketplace. Is for example, Etsy is is nothing without actually makers coming onto the platform and building something and, and posting it right, uh, and and so. so both sides are going to suffer, especially the shoppers that you probably thought of when you first even uh, incepted this company, are really going to suffer because they're not they're not going to come if if, if the supply is not there. 
Yeah, it's kind of that chicken and egg problem because right. you need you need both at the same time. Otherwise, the system doesn't work. Right, right. So for people uh, who are listening to the show that are maybe they're a startup founder or they're trying to build a personal brand, what would you recommend from the lessons you've learned uh, observing and working with gig economy companies that you could recommend to them? Wow, yeah. So if uh, if you're a founder or uh, you know a, an early stage executive at a gig economy company, then I would recommend to launch a couple markets at a time and to uh, be like you know be the best and work on your brand recognition in like in just a couple markets. It's always going to be better launching markets in phases rather than do kind of a nation nationwide launch of your your marketplace as once it's going to be a lot harder to as we just said how important it is to kind of make sure you have you have demand and supply at the same time it's going to be a lot harder to manage that um if you launch a bunch of markets at the same time so that would be my my first recommendation um my second one would be to, you know, look for help. Like probably if you're an early stage yeah. startup, then you probably don't have the bandwidth to do this internally. And what I've seen is that, you know, is that a lot of companies start by working with a, a marketing agency like a Recruitix or a Bayer for help. And then they kind of learn the ropes and then they hire a couple people and start to build out the team to do this internally. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then you have like Uber and Lyft and Instacart and DoorDash who are now have their own programmatic teams in-house um, that are fully versed on this. So you will get there. But, uh, it's, but my advice would be in the early stage to that there's no shame in, in asking for help. You, you, you can't be an expert in all of it at once. And there are experts in recruiting that, um, that can come in and assist you with it um, pretty easily. Yeah, we, we had a different guest on the show. His name is uh, Gabe Gervais, and he, he said the same thing about search engine optimization. You know, like you can go and research online for hours about what, you know, what are Google's bots and white hat strategies. He's like, but, but honestly, just let someone else do it. You know, like let someone else do it who already has the foundation. They'll get you to where you want to get quicker. And if the definition of a startup is to grow fast, well, th there's no better, better way to do it than get to the smartest people doing that specific thing and, and just, just pay them well for it. Uh, for, for the value that it's going to bring you, which is likely many fold. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, and something I want to add to that as in if it was uh, any recommendation to someone building their personal brand, uh, I, I, I think don't be scared to do to try and do paid marketing, paid advertising and see if that works for you. You know, because there's there's huge, I mean, there's incredibly smart uh, programmatic brains uh, inside Facebook and Google and across these job boards that uh, they really can do the work for you and get you what you're looking for to give you a great return on investment. Um, and who knows, you know, if you spend 
$100 a day on Google search ads, it could bring you back $10,000 in uh, e-commerce revenue, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just started that like on the smallest scale on with my with, as the Frisbee marketing director. I put like yeah. 20 bucks behind an ad on Facebook for the first time the other day. And it worked. Got like thousands and thousands of impressions. And like, yeah, like just to not be afraid to dip your toe in the water and spend a little money. And, you know, that's that's how you learn. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah. If you want to talk more about that, I can I can talk Facebook ads for for hours. So um, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. Uh, so so as we start to wrap this up, so what's one piece of advice you can offer to people or founders or marketers besides kind of the gig economy recommendation? I would say for you know for if I was going to give a piece of advice to to kind of gig economy companies and or you know founders early stage startup people in 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 any industry i guess i would say you know to keep a pulse on to like keep a keep a real clear pulse on your competition and under and and steal ideas from them at every point that you can um to you know look at at the landscape of where where you're going to be able to engage with your intended audience, whether that's consumers or talent, um, where they live and breathe and die, and maybe now today that's TikTok for you know some Gen Z people, and but so being able to uh, to get yourself earlier on that you know that. Um, technology adoption life cycle. So, yeah, like you know, don't be a don't be a lagger. Don't be a you know a late, late majority. majority. Don't yeah. even be be pre chasm and uh and and just don't be afraid to take risks. If you're starting your own company, you already have that entrepreneurial spirit. But and then you know, my next advice would be just as a salesperson, you know. You you like good salespeople are 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 gonna help you make money and 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 personally I can say from experience that they don't necessarily need to be you know have the ten years on paper experience you you got to find people that are are creative I think creativity and charisma are invaluable as as salespeople and I think um that those that you need those assets on on any team that you're building yeah here here i think you you you've got those in spades absolutely uh so what we like to do at the end of this show is rapid rapid growth questions so daniel if you're ready i'm gonna ask you some questions okay let's go okay all right so greatest marketer ever and doesn't have to be a like on the paper marketer it could be like hugh jackman in uh the greatest showman Ooh, the greatest marketer ever coca-cola i don't know like there's something about that Mm. coca-cola is just like the one brand that i'm loyal to like from some age before i can remember i just like remember polar bears and like fizzy bottle Mm -hmm. caps and just like they've 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 incepted my my mind. Like I love Coca Cola. Yeah, the, their brain archetype is is strong. 
okay. Marketing newsletter you read a lot. I read a newsletter and follow another podcast called Chad and Cheese. Uh, mm-hmm. It's two guys, um, Chad Soash, Joel Cheeseman. It's a recruiting podcast. It's highly crass. They swear a lot. They beat up on Indeed. They talk about uh, HR tech investments um, and like how PE firms are where they're they're investing between HCM, programmatic, and kind of the the changing uh, landscape of recruitment marketing. So really cool podcast. And there's a you know they, they've got a newsletter and a blog that that follows along with it. So definitely check that one out. Marketing blog you read a lot. There's uh, this other blog I read called the George LaRoque HR uh, Tech Blog. I think that uh, this was recommended to me by my old boss at at Recruitix, but I think it does a great job of capturing all of the billions of dollars that are being invested into this space. Um, And I like to just keep tabs on that because it's like... it it just proves like why I'm here. Why am I doing this? Why is this even relevant? So it's good stuff to get out to, to my friends and to my prospects and to, to other people and just say, Hey, people are spending real money on this. People are thinking about this. You better think about it too, or, or you're going to get beaten. Mm-hmm. Th- thought leadership is powerful. Yeah. Marketing Twitter influencer or just Twitter influencer you follow often? I have to be completely honest with you, Jacob. I do not use Twitter. And it's so funny because I don't like in my stock portfolio, it's like half Twitter. Like for some reason, like I'm obsessed <laughs> with Twitter from like, I, like I love Jack yeah. Dorsey. I believe in Twitter and the power of Twitter, but I just know that if I allow myself to get sucked into Twitter, I will spend like hours in front of this phone screen, like just like, so I've just never allowed myself to go there. And I'm personally, I do not follow anybody on Twitter. Self-discipline. Best marketing book of all time. I like this book, All Marketers Are Liars. I'm sure probably a lot of Mm. people have said it before. Yeah. In general, I like Seth Godin. Um, I, and I'm, Sure that that's just obvious and that everybody's probably say Seth Godin, but for what no. it's worth, I do like all marketers are liars. Yeah. You're you're the first person to bring him up or one of his books. And uh Okay. That 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 book. I, I just read a, one of his books, Lynchpin, recently and and uh, loved it. Yeah, he's got great content. And I also final- like uh Start with why Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. I, I sounds like something that, that you'd get behind too, but um it's 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 not even super just focused on marketing, but I think it's just good life lessons and um, and just good stuff. Yeah. And final question: What marketing advice do you give that very few follow? Mm, I give the advice to. I don't know. I, I give the advice to to be just like unmistakably yourself and like to to be extremely vulnerable in how how much of yourself you show and i think that that is a really scary thing for people to do so they i think some people they will just step on the other side of the aisle and say no it's very important to 
you know, to keep a professional decorum, to have a clear separation between your your personal life and pursuits and, and how you uh, hold yourself in a professional setting. But, you know, at the end of the day, my passion for Frisbee and dance has gotten me into more doors to sell recruitment advertising than me saying, hey, I'm Daniel, salesman for X and X agency. Talk to me for that reason. So, um, you know, my advice is to be yourself. You're here. Well, Daniel, thanks for coming on the show and, you know, your vulnerability and unapologetically being yourself. It's been really, really fun talking to you. Excellent, dude. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you for having me and look forward to listening to the whole second season of your podcast. Thanks, man. It'll be great to have you listen. Talk to you soon. Yo, thanks for listening to that two-part conversation with our guest. I really do hope I'm creating some value for you and making the journey of entrepreneurship a little less noisy, a little less lonely, and a little less stressful. Before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you liked what you heard, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card contest, which we're going to announce the winner of every other week. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Go to the show, scroll to the bottom, and hit review. 10 seconds, 10 words, very easy, and be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money. You got to love that. And it's easy to do. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be amazing. Thanks and take care and good night. Good night.